You're listening to Creative Capes by Future London Academy. Honest conversations with designers, entrepreneurs and innovators. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Hello, dear future thinkers from around the world. I'm Ekaterina from Future London Academy and welcome to our leadership series. Over the next five episodes, I will talk to the creative leaders from the world of design, branding, architecture, technology, and psychology. And I will try to uncover how they inspire and lead their teams, make difficult decisions, and recover from falls. And my first guest is Bidisha Sinha, senior associate at Zaha Hadid Architects. For the past 15 years, Bidisha has been working at Zaha Hadid on numerous projects, including Evelyn Grace Academy, that has won the Reba Sterling Prize as well as my personal favorite, Mathematics Gallery and the Science Museum. If you haven't visited it yet, I would definitely recommend checking it out. In today's conversation, we discuss Bidisha's approach to leadership, what she learned from Zaha Hadid herself, and why now is the time for the new Bauhaus. Bidisha also reveals her personal secret, how she releases stress after a long day. Spoiler, it includes onions. I really hope you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. If you want to see a video version of this interview, check out our YouTube channel at Future London Academy. Enjoy! Before we jump into all the important topics, I have 10 rapid-fire questions for you, Bidisha. Are you ready? Okay. Okay, they won't be difficult, so I hope we can quickly go uh, through them. Your favorite cake flavor? Red velvet. Good one. London, Hong Kong, or New York? Oh, that's hard, huh? I mean, London. Hong Kong, New York are amazing, but London, yeah. Yay for London. I'm definitely voting for London. What's your guilty pleasure? Guilty pleasure. Um, I think in this last year, it's been Netflix. I've never watched so much TV before, <laughs> you know, being stuck at home. So currently it's Netflix. Netflix, good choice. Uh, describe yourself in three words. Um, okay, now I'm speechless. In three words, I would say adventurous, uh, serious, and um, I say no to nothing. So how does that, I don't know one word for that. I think that that's a good one word. Um, I say no to nothing, a great, great one. Working from home or office fun? Both. I miss, I miss working from the office, but um, it has advantages working from home, you know, especially with the 3 a.m. Shanghai meetings. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> but I do miss well working around with my team. So I think both um, would be good. A bit of both. Your favorite place or space in London? Feel free to drop any kind of architectural insights oh, well. here. But to be honest, yes. just the one that you feel the best and it might not be the best architecture, it doesn't matter. Well, the Match Gallery for sure. You kind of hinted at that. And I think the Tate Modern, because I really like the area around it. And for the longest time, even as a student, it was like my extended living room. So it's like one of my favorite places there and along the river. It's, it's so amazing there. So, really? yeah. I definitely go for walks there, so I couldn't agree more that it is a lovely place to, to go to. Professional achievement you are the most proud of? 
Um, there are a few, but I think the getting the Sterling Award for the Evelyn Grace Academy, I mean, now it seems so long ago, it's almost 10 years, but that was still a very, very major achievement for a young professional, you know, the sense of satisfaction. So I think that still remains one of my favorite moments. I mean, there have been many more, but that's still one of the ones which is the nicest. <laughs> Amazing. Well, that's a great achievement. So congrats on, on that one. Yeah. It was truly, truly great. Your favorite book? My favorite book? In a weird way, Pride and Prejudice. It's, it's, it's really weird because I've read it. I've read it in high school and then I've read it in university. And every time you read, you, you get different parts of it. I know it's Victorian and I know nowadays Bridgerton is all the rage, but it's not um, in that category, right? Um, I, I, I do like a lot of strong women authors. Um, so I, I, I've read a lot of Alice Munro, I've read a lot of, uh, but I think that one is really interesting because you can read it and every time you read it, you get something different. Uh, similarly, Jane Eyre. So yeah, some of the classics I really like. Great answer. And the last question, what, what's the best part about working in architecture? Um, the the feeling when you finally get to go to sleep, you know, the sense of satisfaction is 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 quite phenomenal. Um, but you know, it is it is a service sector in the end, architecture, and it's so so nice that you can take somebody's requirements and actually make something out of it, which then they use for the longest time. I think it's the sense of satisfaction that you can take a brief and you convert it into something which then a number of people can really enjoy. And it's there, it's there for a long time. So it's something which is really lasting. So that's satisfying. Thank you. And I, I, to be honest, I have to say, that's what I jealous of when I think of architects, because you do create places and spaces that do stay beyond your lives mm -hmm. and beyond your careers uh that's something that a lot of people in other areas of creativity can't unfortunately do so i always felt like this is a it's always a, a an interesting spot to be but also probably the hardest because everything is much slower and you do have to wait years yeah. until you see the results of something yeah. that you are so passionate about so um definitely an interesting challenge Okay, thank you so much for passing this hard, hard no question. Okay. <laughs> we are done. We are done. So we can uh, go back to the normal pace. Let's start from the very beginning, uh, which is your career and your culture and you growing up. So you were born in Damascus, you grew up mm -hmm. in India, you obviously live now in London, you work with Hong Kong, you have this great, uh, great international background. But I would love to hear about where it all started so how was it growing up and what what did you see growing up how did it influence you and when was the moment you realized you are a creative person well it started as you all say uh, you said already it all started in Damascus. i was born there but um I, I, I don't think there was a moment when I realized I'm creative. I mean, growing up in a place like, say, India, which is inherently multicultural, means that you're exposed to a lot of different things. And I always was more inclined towards the arts, you know, fine arts and dance and music. And um, I did take my senior secondary. I had art as a specialism. Um, 
so I think there was not this moment when I realized it's creative and it's just what I gravitated towards eventually. And, you know, luckily it seems I've made it work. So that's always a good thing because unfortunately in the creative industry, you only hear about the success stories. So that could have gone very wrong. Um, but no, it's um, so I, I, I can't unfortunately give you a moment, but I think there was always a tendency towards it. And eventually that's what I fell into as a profession. So, and, and it complemented my thinking and my, and I think it's great architecture as a creative profession because you absolutely draw from every discipline. You know, you have to draw from everything in order to create these spaces and designs. So that's always been quite fulfilling in the end. Um, you clearly made it a great career <laughs> and I agree. We only hear success stories. So um, mm -hmm. it, it's always, easier to track back to where it all started when you see the almost the straight line. Uh, but do you remember if there was anyone encouraging you to go into architecture or even creative field? Or was there anyone that you saw and thought, you know what, I would love career like that. That sounds fun. Um, I was growing up, you know, my, my family, my parents, they've always been quite encouraging to try different things. It's also, I think, quite an Asian thing where you let the kids try all sorts of different things because then they can find where they will fall. Um, so there was always support. It's not like there is not that support. And in general, around me, there was there was a lot of music and a lot of art. And, you know, in uh, again, as I said, growing up in India, it's you're quite lucky because you're exposed to such a large diversity of it. I mean, I, I, I'm not one of these people who at age six thought that, oh, I saw a balcony and I'm so inspired and I'm going to be an architect. And that didn't happen. And there was I really there was not this one moment when I said, oh, this is it, that's the career. I did consider product design, I did consider fine arts, I did consider architecture. Architecture, I think, appealed to me because it was quite a good balance between engineering, which is uh, was more of a pure science, and the creative. It, it kind of had both sides of it, and I think it's more to do with me being indecisive, whether I want to go purely into creative or purely into engineering. So. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 not one thing. I think it is a result of all the exposure I've had over a period of time um, growing up. And also the fact that we were fairly well traveled already at a young age because my uh, family was traveling a lot. So I had already, you know, visited, had been into the States, had been to Europe. So there was a large, large exposure. And I think that helped a lot. I love the couple of things that you mentioned. The one, the kind of combination of engineering and art. Uh, and I think that is very unique. And uh, I definitely can relate to that because my first degree was actually in programming because I couldn't decide if I want to, to do more of a programming and tech and maths or I want to do creative stuff. And what I found, where I found the balance is digital design, where it was a bit of everything. Um, I never thought of architecture but who knows maybe if someone told me about it at the right time <laughs> i could have considered it but i definitely feel like balancing the kind of the logical and structural brain with a creative brain creates many many unique opportunities yeah. whichever field you are in yeah. and obviously you had this wonderful career and i love that you mentioned that you traveled uh, the world as well and i think definitely for creative people it's one of the key ingredients uh yeah. To, to get inspiration to understand what the world is about. 
So after working, yeah. obviously studying and then working in various uh, architectural firms, you 15 years ago, you ended up at the Hadid Architects. Probably yes. one of the most famous, most well-known dream companies that every architect wants to be in. And uh, it must have been a dream come true for you to, to join the company. Do you remember the first I mean, day? How did it feel? What, how was, what was it like? Well, um, I mean, to be fair, I was already exposed to Zaha's work in school because we were, uh, when we were doing undergrad, we had seen it and, you know, the, there was a lot of discussion at that point on deconstructivism and uh, the other movements which were going on. And then I came to London to do my master's at the AA and Patrick Schumacher, who is our, um, our lead now, um, he was my tutor. And so that's where the exposure came much more to the practice. And then I got invited to join when I finished because he was my thesis tutor. And I was like, no, no, you know, it's all going to be so stressful. I went away for like six months and they called me and said, what are you doing? Just so then I joined and the first day was it was interesting. Obviously, you know, you're quite apprehensive. This, like you say, it had it's a it it was then quite still a smaller office comparatively because I think we were like 50, 60 people. Um, and but it still had quite the reputation already. Zaha had a reputation. So you're obviously apprehensive because you're going into it and you know that there is going to be this demand and you're not sure how you're going to um, quite navigate around that. But on the other hand, because because of the extensive teaching that Zaha and Patrick were doing, a lot of the people who were in the office were people I already knew because there were people, my classmates from AA or from Yale, from Vienna, all people who somehow had crossed paths before. So in that sense, it's not like it was I walked into a completely new uh, situation. It was quite comfortable because there was no shyness in that sense, right? You, you already know the people who are working there. So that was really, really helpful. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think first day, first day I arrived and what was I doing actually? I, I think I got shown into one of the studio spaces and was like, okay, you know, someone's gonna come and brief you on what you're working and boom, I was on a competition and that's it. <laughs> you know, there was three months where uh, next three months were a blur. So yeah, no, it was, it was good. It was exciting and it was uh, challenging and uh, yeah, I'm still there. <laughs> so. Like it, uh, it was a, a great place to end up in, considering you you spent many years here now. And uh, did you have a chance to work with Hadi herself? And what do yeah. you remember about her? And how 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 did it feel from from the inside? I mean, um, yes, because um, in the in the practice, as would be in a lot of larger practice, I have always had the overview on a project when it first came in and it's only when it went beyond a certain concept or a, you know a, a later stage that then she handed over to people who she trusted to deliver on so in the early days when you had concept work when we were working on Evelyn Grace and then subsequently I was working on some other private projects so you always had constant exposure to her because that discussion needed to happen and I mean, she is, as as is her reputation, she was very demanding, very formidable, but, you know, also very kind. So it was a, a interesting balance and uh, she could be unpredictable. So you really needed to be very quick. And that's true also for Patrick. You really need to be 
quick with what what they expect and what you need to come prepared with. So this all needs to be quite. So um, I mean, Zaha personally, um, I, I, we could have a full session again <laughs> on that. But in, in 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 summary, I would say that she pushed us really hard. And what was great is she everyone was allowed to have their own original thought. And of course, there might be a was point where she said, okay, this is completely rubbish, you know what you're talking about, or this is amazing, but it did work more like a studio. And I think this is what is quite great, um, even now, is as you get larger, you might lose that kind of a studio feel because um, as an office. But there is still this possibility, you know, if you're someone who's exciting and someone who has an exciting idea, doesn't matter who young or new, you, you do have the platform to try that idea and see if it can land somewhere. And I think that was the best thing about her, that she did allow for that to happen. Um, yeah, beyond that, the logistics of everyday offices, I don't think you want to <laughs> get into and that, you think, um, that I suppose you picked up from her now that obviously you developed in the practice and uh, do you feel like there were lessons that you took from her on how to lead or how to be an architect or uh, how to be a manager that you still remember or that you, you still have with you? Um, I, I'm not sure I would say anything to do with direct management or so but I think what I would say it was the strongest factor working with her was her insistence that you question everything and you really if something is square why does it need to be square or something is circular why does it need to be circular so you and and that means that that filters through your general thought process so you start to question conventions all the time to see if that's something which is really is I mean is it just something which people do because they're comfortable with it now and that could be social culture or architecture or can you question and do it better or do it differently I think that's the strongest part which came out of my years working with her is the and you don't have to be scared about it because a lot of people are also shy because they're like, okay, if I ask this question then you know people think I'm stupid or people think I'm making trouble she didn't care on that one and that's the bit which is really nice is because then you get that confidence that yeah yeah, yeah I can also question you know because I, I think I can do this better so that I would say was the strongest thing that I took um she seems like a, a very interesting character and I wish I had a chance to, to meet her but I always feel like we pick up so many things uh, from the people we are around whether they are our managers or whether they're just our colleagues that so we definitely this these small things that we kind of learn from each other and then uh they influence who we are i feel like they are the most uh important and i love the idea of questioning everything that's definitely a, a good approach and that's probably why uh the the architectural practice that uh, you have is uh, so so unique and so different from uh, every other practice that exists in the world, um, which is mm -hmm. again incredible. And what was your personal experience of, I suppose, becoming this this leader or manager or person who is a, an example? And uh, how how? Do well, you I don't know if I'm an example yet, uh, but um, you 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 slowly grow into that role. 
as you go through your own professional career you go go and yes you learn you learn things and you know even in my own personal career i've had good managers or not so um, good managers and then i i mean i wouldn't say i've ever come across someone who is bad but everybody leads or managers based on their own experience and what they have um to refer back to and we learn then what i would like to do or i wouldn't like to do what i am observing as success and also sometimes it's not your direct managers you just learn because you observe how things are going on that's the advantage of working in more open studios is because there are different teams working together and you can see when a team is having a meltdown and what's happening or when the team is super successful and why it's happening so i think you kind of grow into that role and any kind of leadership in general it's it's quite you know the word leadership is it's quite scary because people start imagining that there's all going to be all this responsibility but in the end i think um, you know especially in architecture where you have to work in a team right? you're not doing this on your own you're not doing it on your own in the office you're definitely not doing it if you don't have a client so it's always going to be a client engineers consultants planners uh, uh, your team uh, budget so there's just so many variables that you have to bring together um that leadership a large part of that leadership even in the creative industry is about having an overview and being able to manage everyone and in that process possibly not suffocating the team because it's just so demanding that sometimes it's just easy to say okay you know this this and this and, and I'm also guilty of doing that sometimes, but you try more as as often as possible to give them some ownership and, you know, so that they, they come together as a team. If they feel empowered and they feel like you have their back, actually teams work really well together when when they're accountable to you. Um, and I um, also am not a big fan of trying to blame people, you know, if something goes wrong, because in the end, with leadership, it stops with you. So if something has gone wrong, they have to be able to come and speak to me without being scared of speaking to me, if that makes sense. But again, all of these things are things you learn as you are growing up the chain. So I think everybody picks up what they like and what suits their personality. Um, Was there a one thing that I suppose you did not expect, maybe if you think of 15 years ago when you only thought of uh, progressing through a career, uh, something about leadership that was unexpected or a skill that you didn't know that you will need to acquire uh, to be um, a leader? I think one of the things, possibly a bit of a flaw in architectural education is there is, you know, in the early years, there's all this focus on, on design and, you know, we're going to change the world. And nobody tells you that actually when you get to this stage, I spend more time on Excel and Word and, <laughs> sorry, and, and and there's just so much of that management side which comes in that at some times you really feel like your creative side is only a fraction of what you are doing. And that can be quite scary for someone who is trained as a creative. And I think that is the bit which was slightly unexpected, but it's okay because if you have the right support around you, you can go into that role. But I do think that we focus a lot on design in the education sector. And then sure, you do your part three and you learn about all the liabilities and this and that. It's very different 
than when you really have to deal with that on an everyday basis. So I think that was the bit where I um, had to learn. I had to learn. So, yeah. Even in conversations we had with our community, it's always the challenge of when you become a, a manager, if you run your own company, which could be yeah. the most creative company in the world, your job suddenly becomes a lot more boring than everyone else's. Did you yeah. find a way to deal with it? So like, how did you find peace with the fact that you've jumped you know, creative work and now it's less of that? I actually got massively into cooking, I have to say. <laughs> the, the, the satisfaction of really chopping up vegetables when you've had a bad day, like really going for it. And also it's much faster, you know, it's a creative process also. And then you just like you create, consume and destroy all within a fraction of an hour. Um, it, it's true. And the only way you stay sane, I think, is making sure you have extracurricular interests, whether it's reading, painting, hiking, snorkeling, I don't care. You need to have something which lets your brain take a break from it. And of course, if you really, it's about being creative. You know, I have an art collaboration with a friend of mine who's an artist. I, I, I am involved in a lot of cooking related things. Um, creativity doesn't necessarily just mean designing on paper or creating digital design. You know, it's, 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 it's so much larger and broader. So you can find satisfaction in a lot of different ways. Um, but on an everyday basis within the office, I, 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 it's not like you don't get to be creative. You're guiding the process. So you're still using that side of the brain, but it's just, you're not hands-on. And, and sometimes it, you just have to let go and not be hands-on. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's just the nature of it. And then sometimes when you have the time, you really freak your team out because you're like, okay, you know what? Give me that. I'm going to draw today. And everybody is looking at you like, why? <laughs> why do you want to draw today? Go home. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's, and I, I suspect everyone uh, at, at, at a more senior level goes through this kind of a struggle. Yeah, I, I love your comments about finding creativity in kind of in this in this management and still seeing your job as creative, because at least that's the excuse that I found in my head, because I definitely don't do any more hands on creative work. But I thought running a team is also creative work. You still need to use same skills of um, kind of coming up with ideas and how everything should should work. Uh, same with running a company. So that's my yeah. experience. But I also love your idea of getting the extra activities and hobbies that will support your creative brain. I'm working hard on this now. I'm <laughs> in search of a, a new hobby. Um, so um, who knows? Maybe we'll be wood. Well, you or, can oh. come over and we do a joint cooking session. That's I love cool. that idea. Oh, I, oh definitely. Uh, no. I'll remind you of that. that that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, and uh, we actually, as your part, one of our teachers uh, on our executive program for design leaders that uh, is inspired by Bauhaus and obviously Bauhaus uh, has been such a, an important moment in design history 100 years ago. And uh, we still kind of uh, have the, the circumstances and the results of uh, the, the time the Bauhaus existed. Um, reflecting on it now, 100 years later, uh, do you feel like we there are similarities in the time we live in now uh, with what happened 100 years ago that created that very unique place uh, where all this Kandinsky and Schlemmer and Maholo Nagy found the inspiration to create great work? 
Um, I mean, I think this is something we were discussing a few days back, right? Uh, any of the architectural movements, including the Bauhaus, it, it comes comes due to a reaction to what is happening in, in the larger society. And Bauhaus was at a point when sort of industrialization was starting to feel like it was killing craftsmanship and the aesthetics, which comes with something which is beautifully detailed or made. And that was the moment when they, so Bauhaus really was trying to bring all of the creative fields together in a way, right? And um, so I, I really like, I think that that idea has sustained itself for a long time because um, that's something which is more holistic. So it's not like you take, you know, anything which has to do with craft is not necessarily decorative. It can actually be something which is very well, well crafted, but quite minimal, which is why a lot of the, architecture there has this very modernism influence in them, right? But it, and, and similarly, what we were discussing is we are right now going through such a strong moment, at least within the Western context, where I think the work-life pattern has really been disrupted. And there is, I think, a moment where everyone is starting to question whether things can be done differently. And I think potential, and, uh, you know, that that means that businesses are asking whether they're going to change the way people work. People are asking, you know, you asked me whether would you prefer working from home, working from the office. Um, the the importance of banana bread, home baking, it's like the biggest thing phenomena now. But that means that people have gone back a bit more to things which were crafty, things which are comforting. So I do think there's going to be a big change in the briefs that we start to get from clients because the perception of well-being the perception of what makes a good building or a good space i think there is going to be a shift there um there there was a trend uh, you know that when is the last time really good public commissions have happened uk or even in europe which is you know museums and art i think those things are going to start gathering momentum again like the value of art the value of music people have had no access to theater or art or live music so all of this together i think it's created a situation which is absolutely ripe for a new movement to come from it um and i think that's pretty similar to what we were discussing about how the, you know, what kind of stimulus was required for the Bauhaus to actually happen. There was all of these other things going on around that time. And of course, since then, we have had 20 other isms which have emerged in architecture, but in, I mean, personally, probably are more influenced by deconstructivism or parametricism, but there is definitely a moment now, I think, um, and I, few people have spoken to also think that there's going to be a bit of um how do you say disruption oh absolutely and uh i i also agree first of all our kind of history is quite cyclical like there are moments throughout the history where just stars align in a bad or in a good way that uh, sparks certain situations and as you said Bauhaus was definitely the time where uh, lots of things were coming together and there was the need for place like that. And I definitely agree with you now that the need for creativity, the need for inspiration, the need for well-being uh, has been highlighted throughout this past year. 
and our roles as creative people will definitely be valued more, which is great, but also that means we will face new challenges of what required from us uh, for this new world, which is uh, an interesting journey to, to discover and to go on. So I'm super excited about what will happen in the years ahead, because definitely there'll be lots of new and very, very interesting things. And mm -hmm. you already mentioned the, the change in kind of the way we think about space and the briefs that might come in. How do you feel uh, going back to the idea of management and leadership and kind of remote work? How did um, your work change uh, because of uh, everyone being remote, whether it is from kind of your personal mindfulness well being or the way you, uh, again, work with people and the way you understand people? It wasn't easy. I mean, our office um, was equipped and then invested and gave a lot of support to the staff so that we could continue to function as we are. But obviously, if you cannot just pick yourself up from an office environment, put yourself in the home environment and just keep going exactly the same. So you have to kind of recalibrate your brain to understand how this is going to work. And I do think that a lot of the younger staff might have felt it much more because there is so much of learning which happens because you sit with your team or you hear people talking or so all of that was suddenly it disappeared. So you're sitting alone and every one of them cannot just walk up to me and have a conversation, which meant that I needed to micromanage much more because I needed to make sure that I get FaceTime with my team every day but if you're running a team of 10 12 15 people you know you only have so many hours in a day then what do you do you get everyone on a zoom call or a skype call or whatever then each one has to put their hand it's it's not easy so it's something which we had to almost unlearn our way of working and relearn how to work like this and that initial few months it was quite hard um but we have continued to be very, very productive. And I think that is down to the fact that, okay, maybe also people just had nowhere to go, so they just work longer hours. But in general, yes, there are people have put in a lot of effort into trying to ensure that the quality is there. So from a managing point of view, it is harder. It is not, you know, everyone says, oh yeah, yeah, working from home is going amazing. It is going amazing, but it is much harder because as someone who has an overview in the project, you really need to make sure that you really have overview because, and also, you know, if, if the client's been phenomenally difficult or you've had a really hard discussion with a contractor, your team is not able to hear this, right? So when I then get on a call and I'm more snappy and like, yeah, da, 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 just go ahead and do this. Everybody's wondering, why is she grumpy? They don't know. And I don't have the time to explain to them what has happened. So I think there is a loss of incidental learning, um, which, which, which is the downside of working from home, unless we, we find a way to crack that bit. Um, I, I have heard some of my friends mentioned that they started doing these sessions where they have teams on as a meeting. So everybody is working, but everybody is on teams somehow so they can hear each other. I'm, I'm not sure I'm comfortable <laughs> with that entirely. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, people are, everyone's facing that. So they're trying different ways of trying to navigate through it. 
I, I think there's still going to be a bit of time before we get that right. It's it's not going to be easy. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, the, the, that's so many new things to figure out. And uh, some, as you said, we all started figuring out and some are still ahead of us. We have one very difficult question about have you ever needed to downgrade someone to a lower position because of their poor performance uh, after they've been promoted? And how do you monitor talent uh, development in general? And I think if you if if you have any kind of reflections <laughs> on especially remote uh, conversations and feedbacks, uh, that would be also very interesting to hear. Um, the short answer is no. I've never had to demote someone, um, and I have never known someone to be demoted. Uh, however, when when people go are promoted into a position, uh, I think there's a management of expectation which has to happen because if you get promoted into a position, either you were outperforming yourself by so much that somebody had missed this fact and you should have been promoted before. But my general understanding would be if you're being promoted into that position, it is because you've been showing potential of fulfilling that role. And that means that you should get the support and mentorship that is required. So if there is a moment where you are promoted and then a year later they all tell you, well, you're like completely rubbish, then this is not just that person's fault. It cannot be because if they had the potential to be promoted and they are not performing, then either they don't have the support structure or something is not right. So it's that discussion. And that's why. I mean, I'm not a big fan of annual reviews. I know that happens, but I do think it's much more helpful if as a person who's running a team, you keep constant check in with them constantly, have the little incidental conversations, which doesn't happen now because I'm not going to go get my coffee and bump into my team, have a coffee. How did you have? How was your day? You know, are you OK? So I think that is quite important. Which means that you uh, to answer the question you you manage to create a sort of an implied check-in of how they are performing because you are constantly in touch with them and give them the feedback immediately don't wait for six months to tell them you know what that set of drawings you did like six months ago was just no it didn't work if something didn't work you talk to them immediately say look you needed to do this this and this it didn't happen why did it not happen and they will tell you why it didn't happen because they must have. I, I okay, maybe I'm lucky. I personally don't know anybody who is just lacking passion or incompetent because they just don't want to, you know, that that doesn't happen. Usually, in our kind of circle, if someone hasn't been able to perform, there is something else. Or you misjudged and you overloaded them so much, and maybe they were not ready for that position. It's also a possibility. I mean, there is a tendency still with, um, you know, architecture is, is slowly kind of becoming much more equal, but there is a, it's also very competitive, especially as you get into senior things. So there's a lot of pressure to perform. And I think as you get senior, you probably don't have enough mentorship and support. And that's something which is quite common. So then you're trying to somehow fumble around and find the answers without having the luxury of asking anyone the question. And I've luckily had very good people around me, may not be my immediate managers, but we have a very good network within the office. So if there is a question, you can pick up the phone, you can call someone, you can talk to them. And I think that's that's quite important. 
Oh yeah, definitely. The so on point about not finding any information or support when the more senior you get, the less, um, the less you know what you need to do in general, in life, in your career, in your work, and no one ever explained that to you. I mean, we, we already have those conversations uh, regarding our program. This is exactly the reason why we created uh, the whole um, executive program, because creatives struggle with this the most, or a lot at least, because uh, yeah, you can be great at what you do, but no one told you how to be a leader. No one told you how to be a manager. And now it's part of your job and you have to figure out as fast as you can. And yeah. uh, also get better at it, not just get better at, at what used to be your job, but now this new set of expectations and, and skills they need to acquire. What do you feel like is the difference between leadership and management? If if you feel like there is it's 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 blurry but on the other hand in my head leadership is all about empowering your team to be able to deliver work and that means that you have to have the confidence you have to build the trust that's what leadership is really about because you are leading them into a direction which is going to be amazing right management is more about the everyday you need a pnl you have your timesheets you have for me management is the more dry side of it that is not <clears throat> that is not leadership. Leadership is all about leading, a, being able to meet that target that you need with everyone feeling like they've contributed in a significant way, right? And they need to be either reminded that they have contributed or they've not. That's leadership. And management is really, for me, dry. It's it's the dry part of that thing. So leadership is the creative side and management is sort of the dry side where, okay, I need all of you to submit your timesheets because I have to do some invoicing. You know, that's, that's management for me. I think that's a great explanation. And uh, definitely, I like that you called leadership a very creative area. I definitely agree that it is a, an art on its own to to be a good leader and definitely there is no manual but you do you can watch other people and you can learn from other people how yeah. to be better at it and uh, uh, talking about um, great things and not so great things um obviously now that you have a team and you are in charge of very important decisions in your team and in your company i'm sure it's not always fun and sunny um <laughs> And do you remember any specific point or day throughout these years of uh, you being in this position, probably the hardest day that you experienced, where you definitely felt like you're doing everything <clears throat> wrong and uh, it's all going to hell? Like, do you remember the, the worst? Like, what happened then? It's, it's, I think it's, it's cyclical in architecture because, you know, you start off, really really enthusiastic about the thing and because you are um architecture can only be done by getting sign-offs by so many stakeholders that it can be quite a tedious process and in every project i cannot name one day or one moment where i thought this is all but there are in in architecture we have this famous phrase called value engineering and i don't know why it is that it's almost expected Clients come, briefs are presented, designs are kind of, architectural ambition is kind of defined, and then it all goes wrong somehow. And it seems to be, it, it's literally a stage within every project. And I think those are some of the hardest because 
if you have been very diligently working towards it, and, and this is really hard for both the creatives within that project or the pure management side, because they're all trying to do the same thing and deliver a good product, but you you can go through such long processes of discussing cost versus value of of the so every project i think that is usually the hardest moment um i mean the best moment is always the day when you can walk into that project and realize okay everything works it looks like i thought it would look okay i can go home now so that that's always the best moment and and then there's this intermediate phase which can be very hard it's not all glamorous you know it's it's not all this wushy uh, people are just drawing something because and especially in a practice like the at Zaha's where I work um because you're trying to think of things differently that means you have to work that much harder to convince people that this is still possible within the realms of you know budget planning gravity everything else so it can be very very hard so there are days when you come home and you're like absolutely knackered because you've had to put so much of yourself into it. But yeah, and then of course you want to kill everyone and the next day morning you wake up and it's all fine. <laughs> so, um, do, do you have any uh, rituals or any ways or tricks, tips that uh, you- Told you, chopping vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> chopping onions, it also really makes you cry. Like, okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is such a good trick. I will, I will try that tonight uh, to cry over cutting my onions. This is fantastic. Um, I, there was a last uh, kind of area that I really wanted to talk to you about because of your cultural experience and uh, an incredible richness of the world that you've seen. Um, you obviously have um, an exposure to a very, very multicultural environment, and I suppose that's part of your DNA now um, to see uh, everything and in, in, in the, the, the diversity of the world around us. Um, do you feel like that's, uh, that's kind of your superpower? And what do you feel it gives you the fact that you traveled a lot, you lived in different countries, you worked with different people? I think you inherently, yes, you're right. It is. I mean, obviously, I've um, my ethnicity means I am multicultural by default because it's the subcontinent is extremely diverse so i'm ethnically bengali but i've grown up in north india this is already well to put it in context well i'm italian and i grew up in germany it's something like this you know it's it's a different language different cuisine different script so that inherently means you are exposed to more than one language more than one kind of people more than one kind of food and then if you travel around more than one kind of architecture music so and then when you start traveling around between say the west the middle east or uh, the far east I, I think what happens is that you just develop a understanding of being able to listen and observe a bit more because you are more empathetic to the other person's point of view. And that's quite important, I think, if you want to be multicultural. I know it's a very fashionable word now, but I have to say I don't meet, I have met people who I thought were very well-traveled and exposed, but they're not necessarily multicultural because they are tolerant of it, 
but it's very different when it becomes part of your ingrained way of functioning is that you and and you also assimilate and uh, react differently i mean um it doesn't matter whether you're working in different cultures there will be people who will say things which are not so nice and you know which battles to fight which battles to pick so that's one part of it because you you yourself become much tougher and you're more tolerant but on the other hand you're also more sympathetic so you don't react badly immediately because somebody said something and that's not how it would be said in your culture you can pause for a second and figure out why that person said it like that and sometimes it's because they just literally used google translate and that's a rubbish way of trying to write an email you know so um i i think that's that's the important uh part of it if it's part of your dna yeah oh, i love it and uh thanks for thanks for sharing the difference between being multicultural versus traveled uh, i definitely agree that there is actually a term for it when uh, i completely forgot it where um kind of people find an excuse to not be truly multicultural because they've done all the right parts they they, they voted for a certain people yeah. they, like they they already did their, did their bit so they can be worse in other areas because they did well yeah. in in some yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, and, and I definitely love the idea of a multicultural world because I mean, I, I was born in Russia, I live in London and I can see all sorts of types of people in London doing great work. And I have to say that London wouldn't be London if it didn't attract oh, yeah. all these great people. Yeah. And that's why it's so, uh, known for its creativity because creativity happens from different points of view. Yeah. Um, so it's, for me, it's always joy to see people who seen other worlds that I haven't seen and hear their stories and their opinions. And some yeah. of them might annoy you a lot and you would disagree, but that's, I think what is so wonderful about all of our different, um, people on the planet. Yeah. One one more thing that you actually mentioned in our uh, conversation last week is about when I mentioned that I don't know much about architecture apart from that I love architecture, but I wasn't trading as an architect. And you mentioned that it's all about how you feel in the space. So therefore, me as a as a user of spaces probably knows and feels more of architecture than some of the architects. Um, do you have places or spaces uh, that you felt special or gave you any sort of special feeling and what were they? Wow, that's, I mean, given how much I have traveled around, yes, um, there are um, a lot of places where I arrived and I mean, it's, it's, it's dual. It's like, um, there are two parts of it. I mean, I think I cannot really separate out me using uh, me experiencing a space as a non-technical person. It doesn't happen because I walk into a place, I feel it's amazing, then I immediately start looking at all the interfaces. So it is a bit weird the way I react to an interior space. But for example, um, two years back, I was uh, I was on the Great Wall of China, and we had uh, we went. I went with a very small group of people. We were like eight people and we went to the part which is not frequented by tourists. So you had the entire space to yourself and you're standing there. And you, when you see certain spaces, you have this phenomenally great respect for what a human mind can conceive and deliver. And it is actually an amazing feat of engineering. 
And similarly, there is uh, there are uh, certain structures which I've visited in India, where you really stand there and thought, wow, okay, I mean, how did this guy actually conceive this? Because there is, for example, um, a temple which has been carved out from the top of the mountain. So they would have started doing that building is one mountain which has been carved out and it started from the tip. So you've worked downwards and you've visualized the whole thing. So I think those kind of structures for me, they are really, really amazing uh, feats of engineering. And I think that they're absolutely stunning. And then on the other side, like I said, you know, I, 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 I love the, uh, the cafe, the members lounge at the Date Modern, because you walk in there and it's it's nothing. They're not trying too hard there. It's a very simple cafe lounge thing, but it's it's organized in such a way that you can just be yourself. So that's the other extreme. I also really love the Turbine Hall, by the way. So you can see I'm a bit of a fan of that building. I'm not so sure about the extension, but yeah, I mean, it just in terms of the the original building has these larger than life volumes. I think that makes it um, stand out. The tanks, um, and then yeah. So yeah, I don't know if I answered the question. I digress there a bit, but <laughs> digressions are good. That's I think uh, what creatives should always do: digress from main points of conversations, because I think that's the most exciting part. Unfortunately, we are, are running out of time, so I wanted to ask the last question before we have to mm -hmm. say goodbye, uh, which is um, if um, you have to, if you could go back five years ago and uh, give yourself an advice uh, that would save you a lot of time, money, or energy, or stress, whatever that is, what kind of advice would you give yourself? <laughs> um, I think the one thing I would tell myself is that you are never going to make everyone happy. Especially, you know, and, and this works also in architectural projects and in life, but architectural projects, especially within the office outside, there's always going to be this one person who is not going to be happy. So in the end, you need to make sure you're delivering the quality that you can deliver and then it's going to work out and you can't be shy about asking the hard questions. I think these are the two things, especially when you're growing through your profession, everybody wants to come across as being really knowledgeable. And I made that same mistake. And then at some point I realized like it's not required because actually all these people around me also don't know it. So why should I even have to pretend that I know, right? So I think that's the big, because that would have taken so much of the stress out of trying to be this perfect a professional. Um, so that, yeah, that would be my one big advice. It's that's so much happier now that I don't want to impress anyone. <laughs> That's a brilliant <laughs> advice. I, I love it. And definitely I, I'll take it on board. And um, I think this is a, a great point to reflect on. And thank you so much, Bidisha. It was such a pleasure talking to you. And thanks for sharing all your wisdom with our lovely community. I so much enjoyed it. And I wish we had another hour to talk about other stories. But I hope <laughs> we'll be cooking together soon so we can discuss more stuff. Well, thank you. This was this was really fun. And if you are not following Bidisha yet, uh, her personal account, Bidisha Kitchen, look, has a lot of really interesting stuff. So I would definitely recommend it. Uh, check it out. And obviously follow Zaha Hadid Architects for all the architectural inspiration worth for anyone, whether you are working in architecture or not. 
and uh, for the continuation of this leadership series definitely follow future london academy we will be back with more conversations thanks everyone for joining and thanks vidisha and thank you until next time bye bye thanks for listening and i hope you enjoyed this conversation if you want to join one of these interviews in the future and ask your questions follow us on instagram we are at future london academy we are doing live chats weekly with some of the most inspiring people in the industry so prepare your questions and see you there if you want to learn from these people about how they work with clients and approach projects in more depth join one of our courses at future london academy taught by the best of the best in the world of design and innovation and if you're ever in london come in for a coffee we love meeting new people Thanks again and until next time.